just look for ways to be helpful as opposed to trying to bring people down. Listening to the Soul Source podcast. I'm your host, Raquel Amel. Soul Source exists to share the stories that are influencing our world today. We're bringing you stories that you'll only hear here, straight from the source who is being impacted, and showing you ways that you can help make a difference as a result of the stories we're sharing. We're bringing you experts in government, climate change, race relations, cultural shifts gender challenges, healthcare, and so much more. So buckle up, SoulSource Society, because we're just getting started. And I'm joined virtually today by our guest, Diana Alviar. Now, Diana's an esteemed TV news journalist, and she's now speaking out about mental health and how it's impacting reporters. Now, Diana, I am so excited to talk with you today. As a former journalist myself, this is just something that's so near and dear to my heart. Oh my gosh. And it's so overdue to be having this conversation. So I'm overjoyed to be here talking about it openly because my hope is that the more people talk openly about the trauma and the stress that journalists face, whether you're on camera or you're behind the scenes producing or whatever your role is in a newsroom, um, everybody is under a tremendous amount of stress right now. And the only way to mitigate it or heal it or make people feel better and continue to do their jobs is to talk about it. Agreed. Very much agreed. So first off, I just kind of want to set the ground or set the base work for anybody who's tuning in just on life of a journalist. What yep. is that like? Because a lot of people think I think reporter, cameraman, but there's a lot of one man band or, or right. what we call multimedia journalists out there as well. And so what does a typical day look like for a journalist right now? Well, you know, it varies. And I've done all the roles. I mean, I've been a network correspondent. I've been a local news reporter. I've been a local news anchor. Um, but I think by and large, there are some things that everybody starts off doing. So like the moment you wake up, your natural instinct is to check Twitter or to check your email and find out what's been going on. So, you know, I just want people to understand that from the very moment you wake up, you are now plugged in digitally. And that has an impact on you when it comes to stress, because you can never really just unplug. You can never just like put the phone down and stop paying attention. You're expected to be plugged in 24 seven. And then once you actually get on the meeting and find out, you know, pitch your stories and find out what it is that you're covering that day, then you can actually start to get to work. Then you have to call sources, line up interviews, um, get to your interview situation. Then you have to write that story. You know, you have to log your interviews. You have to write that story. You have to edit that story. And nine times out of 10, especially lately um, in most markets, you are an MMJ, which means that you are doing this all by yourself. You have nobody helping you. You have nobody shooting this. You have nobody editing this for you. It's all on you. So add to that, you're constantly checking Twitter and making sure that you haven't missed anything. The desk is calling you, checking in. What are you doing? Where are you? They might be changing your location. They might be changing your story three times a day. Yeah. You know, so you are juggling multiple things at a time. So add to that, you're constantly checking Twitter and making sure that you haven't missed anything. The desk is calling you, checking in. What are you doing? Where are you? They might be changing your location. They might be changing your story three times a day. Yep. You know, so you are juggling multiple things at a time for hours. And then, you know, 
I tell all my reporters that I mentor, I say, listen, you've got to be selfish at some point in the day. You've got to reserve those last 15 minutes before you go on air for you. You have to mentally get in the game because so many people I know, so many MMJs and so many you know journalists in general, they're scrambling to the very last minute to set up their camera, to set up their live shot, to test their live view, to make sure that everything sounds good. Is their audio on? Is their video on? Are they white balanced? All of these different things are running through their head and you know it's not running through their head? Their own performance, what they're having to say. They have no time to think about their actual story because they're so worried about the technical side of things. So one of the things that I've noticed in the 16 plus years that I've been in the business is that you increasingly have a larger and larger load of duties that you must do simultaneously while you're just trying to get this story on air, you know? And then not only that, by the way, you need to look flawless and sound flawless as you're doing it. So um, it's, it's a tough day. This is not an eight hour day. This is a 10 hour day. And the whole time you are going, 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 going. I mean, maybe you can go through a drive through and eat as you're editing and, and, and logging. But really, it's not a typical workspace. It's not a typical work day. And in some ways, that's awesome because you're not chained to a desk all day. But in some ways, it's really awful because you literally have no time for yourself or any time to take a break. So I just want to express to anybody who's watching this right now that um, it, it may feel from the outside like it's a glamorous job. It is not. It is nonstop work. Not to mention that you can go, like you said, eight or 10 hour day just on a normal day. But if something happens mm -hmm. and there's not somebody to cover that, you could be working a double shift just like that. Oh, back when I was a correspondent, I regularly pulled 36 hour shifts. Mm -hmm. I would regularly pull 36 hour shifts. And I mean, I just learned to get by with maybe closing my eyes in the news car for 20 minutes and then getting back up and having to be on. And um, it, it's not sustainable. I mean, that part was a huge part of why I left network news, because mm -hmm. I was just like, well, I'm done. I'm so <laughs> burnt out. I can't do this anymore. You know, but in, in local news, yeah, you'll end up doing a double shift or if you're night side and something huge happens at night, you may be on until the morning doing a live shot. I mean, you just don't know. Now, I want to take a minute and just talk about the, the world that we're in right now, which is overrun with coronavirus, COVID-19, and just trying to get that under control. But part of that is the reporters. We're finding out what's happening. We're, we're getting live updates as they happen, thanks to the journalists who are out there and are doing that. And they're right on the front lines, just like so many people in our country, truck drivers, healthcare workers, grocery store workers, so many others. But with that comes not only trying to stay on top of the news, but also trying to care for your health. Any recommendations to reporters out there right now as they're worried about their safety while also worried about getting the facts right? I know. I mean, it's like the craziest thing to think about that you have to go out and interview people, but you also have to make sure that you're social distancing and staying six feet apart. And I've been checking in. I left the business at the end of February uh, and I'm going in a different direction, but I care very deeply about my colleagues that are still doing this work because in a lot of ways it's thankless. And, um, you know, I have friends who are photojournalists who are telling me that they're like strapping their mics to hockey sticks or they're using mic booms and they're, they're holding it out like this to get those interviews. 
And people may not realize that they're doing this in order to get their jobs done. I mean, not every interview you do is going to be a Skype interview. Um, and it's extraordinary. I mean, the measures that have to be taken. And there's this conflict between whether journalists are, are first responders or not. You know, I mean, we're comfortable saying, okay, so police are first responders and firefighters and doctors, you know, all these frontline workers. But journalists are also frontline workers. Yes. And right now, with all of this, there's a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of scary information when it comes to COVID-19. And they're quite literally putting themselves on the line to get information back to people. And then you know what happens? And this is the saddest thing about it to me, is that people who don't like what they hear attack them and get angry at these journalists who are putting information out there. And they are damned if you do and damned if you don't. They're damned if they put out the information that they're getting from the White House or Congress or whatever because people don't like it. And then they're damned if they don't because people say, you're not hard enough on people or you need to be questioning, you need to be doing this and that. And it's like, listen, the messengers are putting their lives on the line for people right now. So let's just respect the fact that they're doing their work the way they're doing it under these ridiculous and really hard conditions and maybe thank them for what they're doing right now. You know, because more than ever, we need accurate information. And if they don't do it, if they're not able to do their jobs, and where is that going to come from? Not to mention, I mean, it, it is a constitutional right, freedom of the press, and that is there for a reason. I mean, reporters have an important job to inform the public about what is happening. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, that's, this is why I always tell people that you don't go into journalism. I mean, you know, you hear people say, oh, they went into journalism because they wanted to be on TV. No, 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 no. Most people that go into journalism feel called to go into journalism. If you didn't feel called to go into journalism, you wouldn't put up with, you know, minimum wage, uh, type paying first jobs, where you have to decide whether you pay your bills or you eat, which was my situation when I first started, you know, you wouldn't be able to put up with the conditions under which you're working. You wouldn't be, you know, willing to have to carry your camera and your tripod and do everything yourself. You know, you feel called to do it. You feel like this is what I need to be doing. And so you're willing to deal with a whole lot of things that most people wouldn't, you know, but the problem is, is that we, we make it look so good that people on the outside have no idea how hard it actually is on a good day mm-hmm. to turn a story around and make sure that it looks good. I mean, and so you throw COVID-19 into it and we're in the middle of a pandemic. And um, that's why I felt so compelled to talk about stress and PTSD and the mental trauma that a lot of journalists are going through right now. It's just so much. If it's hard for people to self-isolate, now imagine having to do your job and put yourself in the way of possibly getting sick. So then come home to your family. And then come home. Yeah. Agreed. And there's so many people that are doing that. Um, As a journalist, you talked about burnout and being constantly plugged in. How, How do you prevent that right now? I think that there is a deference among most journalists that, okay, you know, I need to just go along to get along. I need to do my job. I need to do whatever's asked of me. And that's when personal boundaries have to come into the picture. And so um, I mentor a lot of young reporters and I tell them all the time, it's like, listen, if you don't set up your own personal boundaries for yourself, 
then don't expect anybody else to respect boundaries because you're not setting up your own firm boundaries. What do I mean by that? So I mentioned one of them earlier, which was at a certain point in the day, 15 minutes before you go live, you need a hard stop on everything else you're doing. You know, whether that means that you have to take 10 minutes away from your logging or 10 minutes away from, you know, writing or editing, you have to build in time for yourself. And I tell them all, I say, you have to stop doing everything you're doing, breathe, make sure you just do some breathing, make sure that you are okay with your appearance, touch up your makeup, your hair, fix all of this. Because you know what all of people are going to remember are your 10 seconds on camera at the beginning and at the end of your story, you know, so you need to guard yourself, you need to guard your own peace of mind, you need to create breaks throughout the day. If you can, I tell them, put the phone down for about 30 seconds and just close your eyes and breathe and come back to yourself, you know, or eat your meal for 15 minutes, just stop what you're doing and actually eat your meal. Don't look at email. Don't pick up the phone. You have to guard your own time and you have to guard your own peace of mind because if you don't, no one else will. That is your job. When you're in this profession, that is, those are the, the ways to prevent burnout because you know, you have to guard against burnout. I burned out hard in 2013. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And that was back when I was a Today Show correspondent and I just wasn't getting enough sleep. I was just tired, you know, and I could feel like, and this is going to get a little woo right now, but I'm just very honest with you. Um, my ego loved the fact that I was a Today Show correspondent. Wow. I grabbed the brass ring. I mean, when I was a kid, I dreamed about doing this and here I am. And I'm saying, good morning, Matt and Savannah. My soul was like, I can't do this anymore. We're exhausted. You know, I mean, I was like totally single and had no life and you know, never knew if I was going to have to jump on a plane or wake up at three in the morning to go or no, two, two in the morning to be live at four because I was on the West Coast. So, you know, there was just all this instability and uncertainty and my entire life was work and I just could not do it anymore. And then one day I was like, I'm done. Like, I just, I can't, you know, and I took a break from news for a good year and a half. But, you know, I was like, well, maybe I'll dip my toes in this and try it out again. And you know, I enjoyed it because I had a little more control over it, but I burned out really, really hard. And the, the, the hardest thing about burnout, and this is why I talk about burnout so much with people I know, is you tend to be in denial when you're in burnout. You tend to be like, oh, I just need to work harder, or I just need to like ignore this nagging feeling that something's not right. I'll just outwork it. And, and, and that is actually the quickest way to burn out, which is what I did. So, you know, I, I take my pain and the lessons that I learned and then I can see when somebody's struggling and I'm like, I initiate the conversation with them and say, how, how are you doing? And nine times out of 10, if the person doesn't want to talk about it, I'm like, ooh, you're in the thick of it, aren't you? Because if you admit it, if you start to talk about it, then you have to accept it that you're burning out. And that's really scary. So much of what you're saying, I mean, I can relate to, I know a lot of journalists out there will be able to relate to that. And it is, it, it's scary not only because it's hard just to admit that you're possibly getting burned out or you're struggling mentally, but just the, the industry of journalism as a whole is very competitive and there really isn't room to not, not be 100% all the time. Yeah. 
Yeah, I had a conversation that was really illuminating with somebody that I really respect um, and care about who um, helped bring me on board at ABC when I first started as a correspondent. And I really struggled my first year at ABC News because um, I was at a bureau and I just, I was terrible at asking for help. You know, I wanted to be like, no, I've got this. I'm going to prove that I've got this all under control. I didn't. You know, and so, you know, I, I went through a lot of stuff that I probably could have prevented if I just kind of reached out to the right people and asked for help. But the reason I didn't ask for help is because I was afraid if I asked for help and I said, I'm struggling, that I would be pegged as weak, yep. which is a common thought pattern among a lot of people in journalism. I don't care if you're at a small station or you're, you know, at a network. If you ask for help, you're afraid to be seen as being pegged as weak. And then you may not get the good assignments and you may not be as visible as you want to be because they're like, oh, she can't handle it. You know, she's she's struggling. So what we tend to do is we keep it all to ourselves. And that's the worst thing that we can possibly do. And what I'm trying to do by talking about this, by initiating the conversation with uh, people who are still up and comers is telling them it is okay to admit you're struggling. And back to that colleague that I mentioned at the beginning, she ended up leaving ABC News and I met her out for a drink when I was um, in New York on work assignment. And I told her all about my first year and she's like, why didn't you reach out to me? And I said, because you know that everybody would have started to think I couldn't handle it. Mm -hmm. And even though the circumstances weren't necessarily my fault, you know, it's just, a, it was what it was. Ultimately, it would have looked like I was too weak to do the work. And she's like, you're right, you know, because there's just this terrible misconception that you can't ask for help. And I want to change that. I want people to be able to say, I'm struggling. And you may not be able to go to your news director or, you know, the head, your, your news manager and have that conversation. But you need to have one person in your life in the same industry that you can reach out to and say, help, I'm not okay, and have it be a safe space. And that was my sole purpose when I put that video on LinkedIn was, you may not know me, but I'm telling you right now, I am giving you permission to reach out to me and tell me that you're struggling. And I am here for you because I have been there. And wouldn't you know it, people reached out. I wanted to ask you about that was, so one thing I haven't I told people is that, yes, um, Diana did put up a video on LinkedIn and she mm -hmm. was talking about mental health when it comes to reporters. And so when you put that up there, what kind of a response did you get? Because you're very connected within the, the journalism industry. So I'm sure a lot of them saw that. So um, <laughs> this is what I find so interesting. So somebody won't necessarily like it or comment on it. But what I end up getting are text messages from people. I saw your video and I just want to say thank you because I'm struggling so bad right now, or I need to talk about this, or, you know, I'll get a message on LinkedIn or I'll get a message via Twitter. You know, it's like people are finding their way to me to express that they're dealing with a lot, but they don't want to publicly talk about it. They can't even publicly acknowledge that they like my video for fear of looking like, oh, you know, this is something that's affecting my life. And this is what I'm railing against and trying to change is that I want us to be able to have an honest conversation. You know, it, there is way too much meanness in this industry and way too much like 
insecurity that gets played off of each other. And what we really need to do right now is build community because we're under attack from all sorts of places. And the best thing we can do is be kind to one another and offer mentorship and support and openness and um, just just be kind. Think of ways that you can be of service to your fellow journalists. And like I said, in, in some ways, I'm an even safer space because I'm not in journalism anymore. Absolutely. Now, um, so a little bit to the, the talking about just making sure you have somebody that you can talk to. One thing that people might not know is reporters, I mean, you, you jump markets, you climb markets, which means you, means you could be very far from home. Mm-hmm. And be, your newsroom is your family because you really are in a city miles away from home. So mm-hmm. compound that in with everything else. Talk about that part about the job a little bit. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's two things. So number one, no one understands what you do unless they're in the industry. So you can talk to your parents, you can talk to your sister, you can talk to your best friend, but unless they actively work in this industry, you just sound bananas. Like <laughs> I used to jokingly refer to my husband as he's a civilian because you know he doesn't work in this industry and he doesn't understand it. So I would come home and tell him about stuff and he'd be like, that's crazy. But then you tell a person who works in the industry and they're like, yeah, the same thing happens in my newsroom. <laughs> It's like, it's a very unique, very strange place to work. The news industry is just, it's, it's, unless you're in it, you don't quite understand it. So you compound that by having to move to, you know, small cities. Like my very first reporting job was in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, where thankfully I had one friend, my friend Rachel, but you know, I'd never lived in the Midwest. I was from Miami, Florida. You know, I lived in like bigger cities and stuff. This was a whole new experience. It's very lonely. It's very isolating. And it's no accident that I'm still very good friends with people that I worked with at my very first station, you know, and then I moved over to Green Bay, Wisconsin. And same thing again, it's like everybody just kind of gets thrown together and you become like this mini family. But then it's also super dysfunctional because everybody knows each other's business. And, um, you know, so it's it's hard to find support within your own like station. You know what I mean? So that's why it's so important. If you're going to reach out and have support from somebody, you need it to be somebody who doesn't necessarily work at the same place that you do. And ideally, you're looking for somebody who's a little older, who has a little bit more experience, who can lend some perspective to the things you're going through. Because they can say, hey, listen, it's not worth dying on that hill. Okay, like just go along and get along. You know, here are some things that you can do. And then it gives you some perspective. And I was very, very lucky to meet my mentor, who is one of my closest friends to this day. I met her when I was in Green Bay and she was at the network and she really helped me just kind of as I moved along, it, it, it felt good to have somebody that I could call and she would say, you're not crazy. <laughs> you're okay. You know, because sometimes you need to hear that you're not crazy because you're like, am I nuts? Is this crazy? Like, why is this happening? You know? Well, um, I do want to ask you, what do you think the biggest misconception is that people have about reporters as a whole right now, especially? Oh, absolutely. I think, um, well, the main one is, is that it's a glamorous, a glamorous career. I mean, sure. Like if you are a well-paid pundit who gets their hair and makeup done every time you get on camera, um, then it's not so bad. But I think what people don't seem to understand is for the rank and file reporters, the ones who are out there on the ground doing the work of interviewing and putting together stories and working under these crazy deadlines, it is the furthest thing from glamorous. 
it is really, really hard backbreaking work and you're doing it day in and day out. You never know what your schedule is going to be sometimes. So, um, you know, no, they don't get their hair and makeup done in the field. And no, you don't have a giant teleprompter out in the field. You're really on your own doing so much. And then the other thing that I want people to understand is that it is not okay to come after journalists because they're journalists. It is not okay. Like if there was ever a time for there to be more kindness and more understanding and more empathy and more support, it is now because, you know, these journalists are busting their butts. And I really feel like they're done a disservice. No, it is a disservice to term what they're doing fake news or to um, come after somebody just because you don't like what they're reporting. You know, they can't help what they're reporting. You may not like the message, but you can't take it out on the messenger. So I would just urge, I mean, I think everybody in general right now needs to be a lot more kind and a lot more understanding and um, just look for ways to be helpful as opposed to trying to bring people down, you know? That's such a great message. I really hope that when we come out of this and we're back to normal life, that um, we can, we can be kinder and we can be nicer to one another. Wouldn't that be such an awesome thing if that was the result of this? Yeah. And I mean, the other result I want is I want journalists out there and I don't care, you know, whether you run the teleprompter or you shoot promos or you are on air talent. If you are stressed out right now, if you are feeling like you can't handle this, I'm totally serious. They can absolutely reach out to me and just let me know. Because sometimes if you just say, hey, I'm struggling and somebody says, okay, I'm here for you. That makes all the difference. That makes all the difference. And, you know, I, I want people to know that really right now is the time. If there was ever a time, right now is the time to start dismantling this fear of discussing mental health and emotional health and making it something that we can discuss a little more openly. Because then we're going to be a lot stronger collectively for it. And I'll make sure that we'll have information on how reporters, journalists, they can reach out and connect with you for a little bit of mentorship and just a little bit of help to try to get yeah. through all of now. Yeah, like you're not crazy. You're normal. Trust me, hearing that helped me a million times. I'm happy to tell people, you're normal. And Raquel, thank you so much for doing this and giving this a wider platform. I think that um, you know, you're doing a service as well. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Try to stay safe throughout all this. You too, honey. You too. If you like what you heard, keep listening in because Soul Source is just getting started with the stories you will only hear here. We have many more interviews with those impacted by the coronavirus and how as a community, which let me just say the one cool thing with the word community is that unity is right there at the end of the word. And so we are talking about ways that we can unite together and come out stronger and better on the other side of this pandemic. So keep on listening, keep tuning in, and we'll see you next time.